Welcome to this episode of the For the Kingdom, Not the Brand podcast. And this episode is another portion of the sporadic series, Theology Tidbits, where I intend to show briefly how a theology applies to all aspects of the Christian life. And in this episode of Theology Tidbits, I want to talk about the doctrine of regeneration. I'm not going to lie, I spent way too much time debating on how, how, on how I would title this episode, whether it would be being born again or, or, or even the title of The New Birth, but I guess I stuck with the original plan of naming it The Doctrine of Regeneration. Uh, using the title Being Born Again might make y'all think I'm some old-school, crazy Baptist redneck, um, especially for any of my Midwestern or Northern listeners, but I would like to let y'all know that I am not a redneck. Um, and the new birth for me wasn't, I would say it really wasn't it because those who might take a cursory glance at that might think of childbirth, uh, that or it's just me because I've spent too much time working in clinics. Anyway, in the midst of prepping for this episode, I didn't necessarily have anything original to say, and honestly, I, I think that's okay. I'm pretty sure I'm the only podcaster on the Spotify platform who has made a dedicated episode on the theology of tanning. And meanwhile, uh, now I'm talking about a doctrine that has been heralded, heralded by Christians throughout church history. Uh, now, what is the doctrine of regeneration? Well, glad you asked. Allow me, your local, friendly, crazy, old-school Baptist, school you, in a good way, of course. Uh, a brief resource I found that best sums up the doctrine of regeneration is an essay by Professor Matthew Barrett of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary on the Gospel Coalition website. The, the definition and summary of this beautiful doctrine is as follows. Regeneration is the sovereign work of God, the Holy Spirit, of granting spiritual life to each Christian, raising them from the dead so that they are now able to repent and trust in Christ as a new creation. Regeneration is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, of granting supernatural life to dead sinners. This is not a work in which man contributes, but is a work of God alone. Much as an infant receives no credit for being born, man receives no glory from being regenerated by God. Because man needs a grace with resurrection power, then any willful activity on his own part, including faith itself, cannot be the cause but the effect of the new birth. The grace of regeneration is the power of God that grants humans the ability to exercise faith and new inclinations towards God. And in the and in the essay, Professor Barrett notes three major components of the new birth or regeneration. One, regeneration is the supernatural work of the Spirit. Jesus attributes regeneration to the Spirit when he says to Nicodemus, Quote, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God in John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus is, is echoing imagery from the prophet Ezekiel, who said the Lord would sprinkle clean water on his people to make them clean, chapter 36, verse 25, and my spirit within you in chapter 36, verse 27 of Ezekiel. 2. Regeneration is not the work of man, but of God alone. The imagery of birth conveys this point. In birth, a new life comes into this world, but it is silly to think that the infant deserves the credit. No, the infant is passive, much more so in spiritual birth. The new birth is the work of God and God alone. 
The sinner is passive, being spiritually lifeless. If we return to Ezekiel 36 and slightly change metaphors, one will notice that when Ezekiel describes the Spirit's regenerating work, he says the sinner's heart of stone must be removed and replaced with a heart of flesh, one that is not dead but alive. In chapter 36, verse 26, only the spirit can perform such a, such a surgery on the unregenerate. To say then that regeneration is a synergistic act, one in which God and the sinner must cooperate with one another, one in which the sinner can ultimately conquer God's grace, is to give far too much credibility to the sinner's ability. Synergism not only conditions God's grace on the sinner's will, but fails to remember that the sinner is incapable of cooperating in the first place. The unregenerate sinner is not merely injured and in need of assisting grace. No, he is spiritually lifeless. He is not a man on the verge of drowning in the ocean, merely in need of Jesus to throw him a life preserver. Rather, he has drowned and lay dead at the bottom of the ocean. Needed then is a resurrection. This is the way Paul speaks to the, Ephes to the Ephesians. Quote, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God, dot, 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 made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and verses 4 through 5. 3. Regeneration precedes faith. It must. If man, prior to the regenerating work of the Spirit, is not merely maimed or injured, but dead, and if what he needs is no mere assisting or cooperating grace, but grace with resurrection power, then any willful activity on his own part, including faith itself, must not be the cause but the effect of the new birth. This makes more sense if we think about what the Spirit does in regeneration. The word itself conveys that an awakening has taken place. The sinner was blind to Christ, but now he can see. Previously, his will only desired sin, but now it has been given new inclinations to desire Christ. Man's willful choice to trust in Christ is impossible unless the Spirit has liberated the will from its spiritual bondage in the first place. In our experience, everything seems to happen all at once when we first believe in Jesus. But when we dissect God's work, we can speak logically, recognizing that regeneration is not caused by faith, but faith is caused by regeneration. If we reverse that logical order in salvation, we condition the Spirit's supernatural work on man's will, which Scripture never does. The focus is on God's will instead. Of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James chapter 1 verse 18. And according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born. Again, 1 Peter 1 3. Hence, John does not say that everyone who believes then will be born of God, but that everyone who believes has been born of God. 1 John 5 verse 1. Previously, we were blind to the light of the gospel, but when God said, Let light shine out of darkness, suddenly and instantaneously he shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-6 through six. Yes, the believer does choose Christ, but that is only because the Spirit has breathed new life into his dead lungs and shined new light to open his blind eyes. We are like Lydia in the book of Acts. Until the Lord opened her heart, she did not believe in the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Furthermore, even when we speak of faith, we cannot forget that is that it is a gift of God. See Acts 13, verses 48 through 50. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Um, and 
also Philippians chapter 1 verses 29 through 30 and 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. It is not a gift God merely extends to the unregenerate. Again, that would assume synergism and a will that is not in full bondage to sin. Rather, faith is an effectual gift, one that the Spirit must implant within so that the sinner trusts in Jesus. That means we cannot think of faith as my doing. Certainly, we do believe. God doesn't believe for us. Nevertheless, we only believe because God has given us faith and effectually works such, such faith within us in the first place. To say otherwise is to turn faith itself into a kind of work, divesting it of its divine origin. Now, how exactly is knowing this doctrine beneficial for us as believers? How can, a, how can the more academic definition of, quote-unquote, being born again help us in our Christian walk in terms of our assurance of salvation and how we ought to evangelize the lost? This is so beneficial for us to understand as believers because it shows a few things. And one is the glory of God, that he has the power to turn a mass of moving dead flesh to a new creation, one that has a heart that is responsive to the gospel. Two, we can have proper assurance of our salvation in that it is not ultimately about a decision that we made at some point, but it is based on the evidence of the work that God has done within our hearts. Because of His work, we do not just have a new relationship with Him, but we also have a new relationship with sin. Paul Washer has a quite blunt illustration to accompany this. Imagine if you are sitting in a filled church sanctuary where on the side that you are sitting, you have the finest French cuisine on a platter and a platter of garbage. Just a mess of slop. On the, other, on the other side of the sanctuary, you got a big old hog being held down by a bunch of people. You tell them to release said hog, and guess what that pig's going to do? It's going to go for the garbage, because that's what pigs do. But if you, ha but if you had the power to, to change that hog into a man, that man would immediately look up, throw up the slop, and look away in shame as he realizes that the entire time he, has, he was devouring the slop, and he has to look away in shame as everyone watches him. He realizes what he has done. And it makes me emotional that Paul Washer's illustration sums up every single true Christian's conversion. And also, please keep in mind that I didn't uh, subtly intend to call anyone a pig here, because if I did, I'd also inadvertently call myself one. It does take one to know one, though. Anyway, uh, also, that's my dry humor showing, in case no one can tell. Anyway, uh, there is a humble reality as well with how we evangelize others. When we understand the doctrine of regeneration, we know and understand the need for us to call others to, to, to repent and believe the gospel. But we also understand that God is the one who melts the heart of stone and gives the gift of faith. We cannot force conversion upon anyone, and it is the supernatural working of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the Spirit. Let us not be discouraged when there is opposition of any kind when we evangelize, because as Jesus puts it in the Gospel of Luke, he will build his church. As I close out this episode, I will end with a joke, as I ought to. A theologian was asked a question, and, and, and the question goes, what would make a Calvinistic evangelist get up in the morning when he knows that nothing he does will change the matter of his work, since you know, God is sovereign, after all, and who he chooses for a salvation? After a few moments of ooze, like this was going to be a tough question to answer, the theologian said, guaranteed success. 
I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace.